And we're going to continue this study that we began uh, last week and, and uh, called Unleashing the Power of Family. And it's actually a study that we dip in and out of on a fairly regular basis. Over the last several years, we have dealt with uh, probably a dozen or more themes having to do with family life. And today, though, we're going to talk about uh, single parenthood. And it might be that today you are not a single parent, although we have a lot of moms and dads who are raising kids alone in our congregation. But you'll be tempted, if you are not a single parent, to kind of check out on me this morning and hit the snooze button. And of course, you're welcome to do that. Uh, I can drone on and provide a very soothing environment for a nice little nap right now, if you want that. But I would suggest that you reconsider that because even if you are not, you're personally a single parent, you are certainly in relationship with people who are. I have a brother who's raising two sons alone. My mother is raising a grandson on her own, as a, as a son on her own. Uh, my daughter, my oldest daughter, who until a few weeks ago when she remarried, was a single parent raising a daughter alone. We have, this is just in my little family, and uh, not to mention the broader extent of my life's uh, influence and yours as well. And we need to know how God would, how God uh, thinks about that, people who are in that uh, uh, set of circumstances and how he would want for us to relate to them and uh, vice versa. Now, we're in this together, and the Lord has some really powerful things to say about that that I want to explore with you this morning. So I've asked you to turn to Genesis chapter 16, and we're going to start reading at verse 6, but let me set, sort of uh, set the stage. First of all, um, how many of you have heard of uh, Abraham? Wow, that is just not good. Uh, we thought we had this thing fixed today, so can you... Um, Put me, uh, click the next one. Okay, good. Hold it right there. <laughs> what was I saying? <laughs> How many of you know who Abraham is? Okay, most of you. So I won't give you the whole lowdown, but Abraham was the father of the Jewish people. He was the one whom God said, because of your faith, Abraham, I'm going to cause your descendants to be as numerous as the uh, sand, uh, stars in the sky and the sand of the seashore and not only am I going to bless you and your offspring but I'm going to use you and your offspring to bless the whole world and so the Bible follows God's working among the Jewish people as a prototype for how he wants to work in all of our lives and so that begins with Abraham as we step into Genesis chapter 16 you're going to notice that his name is Abram and his wife who most of us would remember as Sarah, is referred to as Sarai. That's because their names have not been changed yet. And that's because the major event of faith in their lives, which was believing that God would keep his promise to give them a son, has not yet happened. And they're both on the, kind of on the doubting side of the fulfillment of that promise. God will change their names later. Um, now, as they are waiting for the fulfillment of this problem, or pro promise from God, they have a problem. And that is that Sarah has not been able to conceive children. And the clock is ticking. These guys are getting older and uh, there's still no baby. And all of God's promises uh, to them 
uh, hinge on them having a child. And so um, how many of you here, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have had the t- that experience where you felt like the Lord has promised you something or spoken something over your life and you, you're in that waiting period where it doesn't look like much is happening and you're starting to get a little either cynical or anxious? You, many of you are nodding your hands. Even though I didn't ask you to raise your hands. I think most of you know what that's like. That's where they are. So Sarai does what we often do, and she comes up with a plan to sort of help God out, supplement him uh, and his power. And she says to Abraham, or to Abram, she says, look, I got an idea. How about you sleep with my handmaiden, Hagar, and perhaps God will give us a child, give me a child through her, kind of vicariously, and then he, God can fulfill his promises through that child. And Abram says, okay. And uh, so they do it, and, and uh, Hagar has a, a son. His name is Ishmael. And um, you can imagine this poor woman. She's being abused. She's being used in a very awful way. And her life is being turned upside down uh, by the people of faith, Abram and Sarai. Um, and... Uh, Hagar's not real happy about things and she's making sure that Sarai knows that and Sarai has gotten to the point now where she's had it and she comes to Abram and she says, look, my, I think this was a bad idea and uh, my handmaiden has really given me a rough time. I want, let's do something about that. And Abram says, well, I don't know what to do. You, you started this whole thing. You take care of it. That's where we enter the picture. Verse 6. So Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, that doesn't sound very good. We don't know exactly what she did, but apparently Sarai was not very kind to Hagar in this moment, dealt harshly with her. She, Hagar, fled from her, Sarai's presence. She runs away. Now, the angel of the Lord, now when you see that phrase, the angel of the Lord, especially if it's capitalized uh, in the Old Testament, it's describing a pre-incarnate visitation of the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, God the Son, Jesus Christ. When I say pre-incarnate, I mean prior to him coming to be born uh, in a stable in Bethlehem and taking on human flesh. Before that, He's still active. He's still the son of God. He's still doing stuff. And he shows up from time to time in the, in the Old Testament. Here is one of those times. So Hagar has fled. She's run away from Sarai and Abram. She's out in the wilderness. And verse 7 says, The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water. Jesus, the son of God, finds her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And... Uh, Moses, who's writing this, gives us the exact geographic location where this takes place. You'll find that in the Bible, there's often geographic information that's, that's uh, associated with the things you read. And the reason for that is that God wants us to know this isn't just make-believe. This isn't just stuff that's rolling around in people's imagination. This actually happened. It happened at a place. A, per- a very specific spot on the planet where a woman in crisis met the Son of God. And he's making clear that we understand that because you and I need to know that there is a a waiting for us in our deepest and darkest and troubling times 
an encounter with the living Christ where we are, not in some theoretical sense, but in the real realities, that's kind of a redundant statement, the real realities of our lives. So, the spring on the way to Shur. Jesus meets Hagar, and he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from, and where are you going? Now, this is the Son of God, right? He ought to know the answer to these questions. Why is he asking such an obvious question? Have you ever had God ask you something that just seemed like a duh kind of question? Shouldn't you know this if you're, the, if you're God? Maybe you haven't, but I certainly have. And I'll tell you, one time, this was probably 30 years ago. It's not the only time this has ever happened, but it's what comes to my mind right now. 30 years ago, uh, Sue and I went to the mall. Now, when we, I, you know, I, my, my wife is a shopper, so I like to uh, be with her. And so if I'm going to be with her, we're going to go to the mall at some point. So we're there at the mall. And when we do that, she'll go off and she'll do her thing. And I will kind of wander around, twiddle my thumbs and watch the clock and meet up with her at some point, right? So that's going on, and, and I'm just wandering around, and I ended up in this uh, uh, kind of high-end paper card uh, shop. I don't know if it was papyrus, but some of you know what I'm talking about, that kind of shop. So I'm in there, and uh, not exactly a manly place to be, but that's because I'm not paying attention. I'm just wandering around. I'm in the store. I get to the back of the store, and I'm just kind of looking at stuff just for the heck of it, and I come on to these um, very graphic, sexually explicit um, greeting cards, and I go, whoop, I'm in the wrong place, and so I got out of there as quickly as I could, and I didn't think a whole lot more about it, and then, uh, same scenario, I don't know, I, I can't remember how long, but days or maybe weeks, not, not very long after that, we're back at the mall, right? Same thing, Sue's off shopping, I'm wandering around, biding my time, and the Lord speaks to me. Now, <clears throat> it was clear as a bell, but it was not audible. Do you know what I mean? God doesn't have to speak in an audible voice to be clear. And this was one of those times when no, I didn't hear an audible voice. Nobody around me would have heard, you know, God thundering, you know, but it was like thunder in my head. And here's what he said. He said, where are you going? Now, I, my initial response was, well, I'm, I'm wandering around waiting for Sue. No, I'm not. I'm headed for that store so I can see those cards again. And God totally busted me. When he asked me that obvious question, he was bringing to light something my subconscious me was hiding from my conscious me. You ever had that happen? And so sometimes God will just play dumb with you, but it's on purpose. Just getting, revealing something he needs to deal with. In that moment. And that's kind of what's happening here. He says, Sarai, uh, or excuse me, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from? Where are you going? She says, well, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. And, you know, at first that just sounds so, uh, so, so hard-hearted, so cruel in a way. It doesn't seem sensitive at all that the Lord would say to her, she's running away from Sarai, that he would step in and say to her, you need to go back to that place where you're being mistreated. You need to go back. 
and not only go back there, but submit yourself to the uh, leadership of these two people that have treated you so poorly. I know it seems insensitive, but we just hold on to that for a little bit because we're going to find out that that was really God being very kind to her. Um, then verse 10, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. You and I cannot comprehend how, how impactful, how uh, amazing this promise was to this woman. But let's try. In those days, a person's sense of high destiny was always only about family. It wasn't aspiring to be the president. It wasn't aspiring to be a rock and roll star, to have lots of money. The sense of destiny that a person carried with them was, I, I want to have a lot of kids and have a lot of impact uh, on generations. That's all that was anybody ever dreamed of. And so here she is, in, in very, very challenging circumstances, and God shows up in the form of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Jesus says to her, I'm going to, she's pregnant, so I'm going to cause your child to be the first of many. Your offspring is going to be, your offspring are going to be as a, mul a multitude that can't be counted. That was an amazing, overwhelming promise that she received there in the wilderness. And the impact of that very tender and, and uh, wonderful experience with God was so magnificent that in verse 10, she gives God a pet name. Then she calls out, she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are the God who sees. You are the God who sees. Now, my wife has a pet name for me. Dare I say it? She calls me Randy Bear. Now, any of you say that to me? You know, we're going out in the parking lot. But when she says it to me, I get butterflies. I mean, I, you know, it really moves me because I know that that, that comes out of the tenderness and the intimacy of of a very long and, and wonderful relationship that we've had with each other. That's the kind of impact that this moment in the wilderness with God himself, Jesus himself, has on this woman. She says, you know, you, you're the God who sees. For she said, have I also here seen him who sees me? Look, nobody else really gets it. Nobody else understands what she's going through and how this has affected her, except God does. God does, and she knows that, and she gives him this name. Now, I'll turn over to chapter 21, same book. We're going to pick up the story. Now, she does go back to Abram and Sarai, and she does submit herself under their leadership and their covering, and she brings this child to term, and she has a son. His name is Ishmael. And at this point, in chapter 21, Ishmael is roughly 15 to 18 years old, somewhere in there, pretty close to that. So he's an older teenager. Get that in your mind, an older teenage boy, okay? And uh, now, in the interim, 
God has kept his promise. Turns out he didn't need Sarah's help after all. And he's caused her to have a child. Abram and Sarah together have had a, a child. His name is Isaac. And all that God has promised Abram and Sarai is going to be fulfilled through this child, Isaac. He's about two or three years old right now, just a baby. He's being weaned. And so they, don't ask me why they did these things in those days. I don't really know. But they had a party for his weaning. And everybody's there. And Ishmael, this 15 or even as old as 18-year-old boy, is ridiculing, publicly ridiculing this little two, three-year-old boy on the day of his weaning. I mean, how, how insensitive and cruel that was. And so Sarah says to Abram, all right, I'm done with this. She's out of here. That's the end of the story. And uh, that's where we pick, up this, pick things up at verse 14. So Abraham rose early. Their names have changed now because this is after the birth of Isaac, Abraham, and Sarah now. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and put it on her shoulders. That's Hagar's shoulder. He gave it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. Then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Again, geographic location. This actually happened at a place. And the water in the skin was used up. And she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. Then she went and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bow shot. For she said to herself, let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept. So she's in the desert. Her water's run out. The, you know, the, we take it, take it for granted that the food is gone as well. This is the last day. For, as far as she's concerned, this is the last day of their lives. She puts her, finds, makes sure that her son is under some kind of the shade as best as she can find. And then she goes away from him as far as you can shoot an arrow with a bow. That's pretty far. Because she doesn't want to hear him. She doesn't want to hear his cries. She doesn't want to hear his last breath. They're both going to die. She knows it. And she can't bear the thought of being with him as they perish out there in the wilderness. And verse 16 ends with these words. And she, and, uh, she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept. Verse 17 begins, and God heard the voice of the lad. That is one of the most jarring transitions from one verse to another in the whole of the Bible. The first verse ends with, she cried, out to the, she cried out. The next verse begins with, and God heard, not her, the lad. You're going to see that that's an important thing. Just mark that. And God heard the voice of the lad. Then the angel of the Lord, excuse me, the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, what ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise. Lift up the lad and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. There's that promise again. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad drink. This is amazing. Somehow, suddenly, there's the provision of what she needs. So God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. 
Praise God. Let's go back through now. Let's talk about some things um, out of these passages having to do with uh, what it, the circumstances of being a, a single parent. And, and, uh, and uh, we'll look at first the challenges, the lessons, and the blessings. So if you can give me this, the next slide there, um, Mark. Let's talk about the challenges. If you are a single parent, single mom or single dad, you don't need me to tell you these things. But the rest of us, we might need to be able to understand a little better, so bear with me. First of all, the challenges of being a single parent is that you're grieving the death of a dream. Unless you're some kind of, you know, Hollywood celebrity, nobody signs up for being a single parent. It's not what you dream family to be like. So when you find yourself in that situation, you are dealing with the grief of the loss of a dream. And it's very similar to losing someone you love to death. There is a grief about that. And we just need to acknowledge that those of us who are not in the situation with you and uh, understand that that's part of what's going on so that we can be more empathetic, so that we can be uh, better partners with you in that. There's a grief of a dream. There's also the coping with the financial impact or the financial insecurity that comes along with being a single parent. Look, I, I've never been single in my entire life. I went from living with my mom and dad to uh, moving in with my new bride when I was 19 years old. And uh, so I really don't know what I'm talking about. Yes, I do. Look, I've raised kids. I have uh, for 35 years been a pastor and walking with people through every kind of life situation. But um, I, and so from that perspective, I know that no matter what has precipitated the fact that a person is, is raising kids alone, there's financial insecurity that's come along with that. Abraham gave her a skin of water and some bread and said, see ya, I hope you make it. And that's often how moms and dads feel in that situation. I'm dealing, uh, trying to help a woman uh, right now is going through that, you know, finds herself a single parent of three kids and has no idea how she's going to make it. That's part of, of the, the challenges of being a single parent. The reason I'm talking about these things is not only, as I've already said, so that we can all be on the same page about what's involved here, but so that we can see that God knows. God knows. Um, one of the things, one of the other challenges of being a single parent is that you can feel uncomfortable or even unwanted by the people of faith. Look, the bad actors in this story are the people of faith, Abram and Sarah. And I know, look, I'm, I pray that this is the truth. I, I believe it is that within our church family, because of the number of men and women who are single moms and dads in our church, I, will, I believe that they are finding uh, safety, security, uh, welcome among us. But I know that that's not always the case. I know that the church... I know the church is full of screwballs just like me and oftentimes we get it wrong when it comes to knowing how to deal with people that don't fit the mold, right? If you're not a family consisting of a mom and dad and two point whatever kids, somehow often the church doesn't know what to do with you. And that's not right, but it can be the case. And it certainly was here. The people of faith made it clear to this single mom, you don't belong. And that's part of the challenges of being a single parent. 
There's also the loss of hope. You know, you, you grow up having hope about your future. And there, when it comes to, when you pass through this set of circumstances where you find yourself in the, in the state of being a single parent, it's easy to just slip into survival mode only. And you stop thinking about the, the development of your future. And it's just trying to, to survive. The Bible says that, a, that when we don't have a vision, people perish. God doesn't intend for us to be people who are visionless, hopeless. But that's where people can find themselves in this kind of a situation. And then there's also the dealing with the parental com complications that come when you've got, you know, kids perhaps moving back and forth between two households and parents who are not maybe on the same page about how to raise the kids, have the same values, and kids can kind of find themselves in a confusing uh, situation. And sometimes um, the the arc of their development in terms of how they're parented kind of goes haywire. Now, I don't want to read too much into this, and I, I'm, you're going to have to just trust me on this, that I'm not, I'm not taking it as far as it might sound. But here we see this 18-year-old, 15, 18-year-old kid behaving in a very uh, not-so-good way, ridiculing a little baby. Something, on the face of it, something says to me, that kid has not been raised in a way that that's, you know, as it should be. And I don't fault anybody for that, but it's just the nature of her, the circumstances that she was in, trying to raise this kid as a stepson of Abraham and not being supported by the family and all of that, I think. Now, may, that may not be the case. Look, I, my kids were weird too, so I understand that, you know, there's no perfect kids. But, you know, that's, that's a possibility. But I do know that it's not an easy thing. And... Uh, I remember one time when my, the first church we were pastoring, a young single mom came to me. She had a little boy. And he was probably four or five years old and given her just a heck of a time. Wouldn't listen to her, rebellious, even at that age, just, you know, treating her with no respect. And she came to me and he, she had him by the hand one day. As after a service, she says, Pastor, I need, a, I need you to talk to my kid. And I, normally when I... Um, and she gave me a little bit of the story. Normally when I speak to children, I get down on my knees or, you know, try to be at their eye level, right? This time I picked the kid up and I held him at my eye level. I looked him in the eyes and I said, you stop this. I want for you to obey your mom, give her the respect that she deserves. You quit being a nasty little kid. I probably didn't say it quite that way, but that's what I... <laughs> and, 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 you know, he's over there going, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, you know, I don't know if that was the end of the story or not, but here's this woman. She had nobody to turn to. She was desperate. She was trying to, you know, raise her kid well, and somebody needed to step in there, and so I did. Did the best I could in that moment. But I just, you know, this, this is part of the challenges of, of single parenthood. We see that in the pages of Scripture. We know God gets this. Let's talk about the lessons. Give me the next one, Mark. Let's talk about the lessons that, uh, that the Lord taught Hagar through all of this. First, that she could resist anger, fear, rejection, and despair. You have a choice about those things. And whether, it's, whether you're encountering those kinds of things as a single parent or another, some other situation of your life, you have a choice about those things. And when the Lord met her in the wilderness... 
He was challenging her. She was headed. Her thoughts, you can see it on the pages of Scripture. Her thoughts are headed in all of these directions. And the Lord interrupts her and says, hey, Sarah. Or, or excuse me. Hey, Hagar. Where are you going? The next thing is that he taught her there's security in the family of God. He said, I know they've, I mean, he didn't say these words, but you can tell from the empathy that he shows her throughout their interactions that he knows that Sarai and Abram have not treated her well, but he says to her, I want you to go back there. I want you to go back there and submit yourself under their, under their covering. Because even though the church is made up of bozos, just look to the, you know, look in the mirror, you know, you're, there's, we're, we're, we're all people who are fallible and, and messed up, and, but we are the church. And there is safety, there's health, there's security in the church, not because of us, but because of him. And he's chosen to work through his church to bring wholeness to our lives. And so the safest place to be, dear one, no matter what you're going through, is in the family of God. I mean, you might be tempted like Hagar was to run. And I get that. But there is no safer place than the family of God, no matter what you're going through. God will be faithful to you in that uh, setting. And then the Lord also made it clear that he cares about our kids. He made a promise to her about her son having multitudes of children. That was an amazing promise to her. And not only that, he, he was clear to her, I hear your son. In that moment, that jarring transition from verse 16 to verse 17 in, in uh, Genesis 21, the Lord is making it clear, you, have, you don't even want to hear him right now. You've separated yourself from him so you don't have to hear him die, but I, I've heard him. Sometimes as a single parent, you just need to know God knows your kids. He loves your kids. He's committed to your kids. You're not alone. And God sees you. You are the God who sees. No one else seems to get it, Lord, but you do. You do. You see me. You understand. Oh, there's so much. Whatever you're going through in life, there's so much comfort in that. Finally, let's talk about the blessings, Mark. Put that up there. Because there are. She found herself in the wilderness feeling like this was the last day of her life and then God opens up a hidden fountain of life-giving resource right there. Many of you in this room know what that's like. To be in the midst of circumstances that seem absolutely hopeless. You can't imagine any way out. But then all of a sudden, there's God. He is so good and so faithful and so powerful. He will never leave you or forsake you. Even in the most, even in the midst. The Bible says that I, in Psalm 23, that the Lord will prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. I'm surrounded by my enemies, and yet God lays out this marvelous banquet for me. No matter what your circumstances, God is faithful. He also provided for her materially. It says there that she made a life for her and her son in the wilderness, in the desert. 
He made, she, God pr prospered her sufficiently that they made a life together there. And not only that, and this would be easy to miss, but he had prospered her sufficiently that she was able to purchase a bride for, for her, her son from her homeland. She was an Egyptian from Egypt. She was able to purchase a bride for her son. That is a big, big deal. Now, look, we're in the 21st century. Our sensitivities are very different than theirs in those days. Number one, I know it might seem like a good idea, but don't, moms and dads, don't buy your uh, sons and daughters, <laughs> brides or grooms. That's just not a good idea, trust me. So there's that. You kind of have to, you know, transcend our current sensibilities. But there's also the fact that in those days, a woman on her own was really hopeless. I mean, there's, there, there was very little chance of... of survival for her, not, not to mention that God would prosper her to this uh, degree. And that is just an amazing story of God's faithfulness to her. And then finally, if you went on and read the story, and we didn't even read all the promises that God gave Hagar for Ishmael, just the ones that we did about him having multi or being the, uh, the source of a multitude of, of progeny to her. There was more that God said to her. And if you went on and read the story, you'd see that every single promise God made to her for her son was fulfilled. This is the God who can wade into any, any of life's circumstances, bring wholeness, healing, deliverance, and, and blessing far beyond anything we can imagine. This is recording number 11178 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, September 13, 2015. This is the second message in a series titled, Unleashing the Power of Family. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, The Toughest Task. Help for parents without partners. 